all of this sort of gets cut out in the post-production. <laughs> so it sounds slick. It sounds like we know what we're doing because there's, we spend half, an, half a day or a day cutting out all the rubbish. We do. and We uh, want to make sure that that's uh, really obvious. Uh, <laughs> you know. It's up on the floor. <laughs> all that's gone. So, so that, that's basically what we're doing is showing you how inept we are live and then we will show you a slick version later on and hopefully that will demystify the whole process. Welcome to Chatting Info Lit, an information literacy podcast for new library and information professionals produced for the SILIP Information Literacy Group. And this episode is going to sound slightly different from the two previous ones because we're recording live at the Lilac Conference. Yeah, so Lilac took place in Cambridge back in April, so we're now in May. So it's a few weeks post-conference. So Jane Secker, who is the chair of the InfoLit group, she very kindly invited us to participate in this session on podcasting and information literacy and I think at that point we hadn't even got a podcast so (laughs) it kind of made us realize that actually we need to start making some episodes in preparation for Lilac. I like the idea that the podcast exists purely because we had to do that one session basically the truth (laughs) Uh, yes so we can thank them for pushing us to get as far as we have so far and yeah it was an amazing experience how did you guys find it? I really enjoyed it as well I think it was just it was a really fun time it was a fun thing to do we should thank the audience as well at some point because they were great. They were just, you know, yeah, noisy so, and appreciative. Yeah. yeah, considering we were, our session was like the end of day two, I think it was. And yeah, the audience were amazing. And it was a really interesting experience having the audience there as well as recording the session at the same time. And throughout the conference, we also did some like box pops. So Ella, I don't know if you want to. So we recorded people who were attending Lilac and asked them to talk about their information literacy experiences, you know, how they were finding the conference. And we've kind of incorporated those into the episode. So you will hear vox pop sections throughout this episode. Before we get into the episode itself, we should say that this episode wouldn't exist without everybody that attended Lilac and it wouldn't exist without Jane organising the whole thing and Chris and Mark bringing a ton of equipment as well. A literal ton. (laughs) A literal ton of equipment, some of which we had to fling around. And I think that's quite a good note to end on and to move into the episode itself. everyone, welcome to this very special episode of Chatting Info Lit, um, a brand new information literacy podcast. Today we are recording live, as you can tell um, <laughs> by now. the fact you're here, and we are live. I'm Ella, um, I'm joined by... Uh, I'm Josh. I'm Bethan. So let's just get started. Um, we have wonderful guests joining us today, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Mike Childs, I'm from Durham University. And my main connection with all this is that I am involved in a podcast called Pedagodzilla, which is the uh, pedagogy podcast with a pop culture core, uh, which basically explores different areas about pedagogy theory, pedagogy practice, but we explore it through looking at different TV shows or films. So we've done Situative Learning and Predator, and how does Arnie help kill the predator through using Situated Learning? Our most recent one was looking at Communities of Practice with these guys, and how the Muppet Show uses communities of practice things to help run the Muppet Show. So that's kind of what we're doing. We've done 40-odd episodes. 
now over the last four years. And also we occasionally do conference podcasts. So it's conference in a pod. So what we do is we go to a conference and then we interview the keynotes. We do our own reflections and have a few bits of chat along the way. And we've done two or three different conferences like that. So you might see us turning up at another conference at some point. So that's Pedagodzilla, uh, pedagodzilla.com. Okay, so yeah. I'm Jane Secker. You know me. Everybody I think. knows her. Don't <laughs> <you>? <laughs> Everybody knows her. Chair of the Information Literacy Group, but I, in my day job, I work at City University as a senior lecturer in educational development, and I'm really interested in using technology to support learning. And copyright waffle comes out of the fact that anyone who's spent any amount of time around Chris and I know that we like to waffle quite a lot Mm -hmm. about copyright. And one day we just decided to have a go at recording ourselves to see if we could turn that into something interesting that eventually became the Copyright Waffle podcast. We have the T-shirt. We have other merchandise available if anyone would like it. Copyrightliteracy.org on the merch store. And we call it we call it interesting chats with people whose lives have been touched by copyright. Yeah. So it's increasingly people who aren't necessarily copyright people per se. The interview we did with Mark Lewison, which is actually two episodes, it it was a fantastic conversation. He is the world's leading expert on the Beatles. I'm a massive Beatles fan. You can hear it in my voice during that interview, just how starstruck got slightly starstruck and overwhelmed I am. But there's a whole load in that about libraries, archives, his research process. Information literacy. There's a bit of information literacy definitely in there. And of course, in the most recent one, which was just released at the beginning of this week, with Emily Drabinsky. Now, can can we cue the music here? Because one of the things that we do as part of um, this podcast is write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. So here we go. enough of that, that for us, is it? that's probably as much as we need to say i mean i, I think we've introduced you guys okay. so thank you very much um now we're going to pass over to bethan to do some of the talking talking about getting started with podcasting okay so first question how did you get into podcasting and how do you make your topics interesting for a podcast 
the story is basically I was wandering around the campus at the Open University trying to avoid my boss and bumped into Mike who was trying to learn about podcasts. We both do things like, uh, 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 what do you call them? Sorry, this is going to go out in the edit. Um, <laughs> uh, so journal clubs and we'd been talking about stuff and Mike is from a more a design background. We were both learning designers so he was really feeling all at sea about understanding some of the basic pedagogy stuff. And that was my background is PhD in education, but not very comfortable with uh, the podcasting things. And so he said, can we just talk about this and record it? And that was our way in, really. It was a chance for Mike to explore some of the, some of the ideas he was coming across for the first time with me. Uh, I knew something about quite a few of them. And then over the years, we've had other people who've brought their own ideas. I, I think... One of the things we hit on straight away was we were talking about, he wanted to understand more about communities of practice. So I knew, uh, I'd read a paper on it, which was using World of Warcraft as an example of a community of practice. Martin Oliver, Diane Carr, written this paper. And we realized that actually that was a really interesting way in, was if you talk about popular culture, for a start, everybody likes to talk about their favorite film. Everybody likes to talk about, uh, say, Yes to the Dress or whatever it is, Captain Scarlet. So we always uh, have that as a way in that makes it more interesting immediately. And we find that a lot of people tune in because they just like to listen to people talking about their favorite film or whatever. And yet that also then provides an example that everyone can then connect to. So if you've seen Predator, you can think of those examples where Arnie uses the situation, uses the environment, explores different ideas with the other people in his team before they get killed off. But bit by bit, you can actually draw on and use those different examples as a way to explore that concept. So accidentally, we ended up with actually a format that really seems to work for people and enables people to connect with it. Sometimes the matching it is quite difficult. Sometimes you're trying to think, what movie works with this? We want to talk about social constructivism. So would, um, I don't know, we asked ChatGPT and that came up with The Breakfast Club, which is a brilliant idea. Thank you, ChatGPT. <laughs> but we decided to go with uh, Lord of the Rings. So that's the next one, The Council of Elrond. So we'll be talking about how does The Council of Elrond explore different ideas about the one ring in order to and and how is that using social constructivism as a way to develop knowledge between the elves and the and the, the dwarves and so on so it's kind of there's a little bit of work goes into planning the connection but the actual format itself i think just accidentally we hit on something that really works like that yeah i, I just wanted to pick up on what you were just saying mark about so some of it for you is about making a topic accessible yeah and Chris and I kind of started on this journey, it's a journey, um, into kind of making copyright accessible through using games to start with. And we found, you know, that uh, creating a game like Copyright the Card game, which we created, we created another game, a board game called The Publishing Trap, was a really good way of trying to explain complex subjects in ways that not only are a bit more fun, but break it down and make it more accessible. And I think that we felt having a podcast might be another more sort of accessible way of people learning about copyright. Also us learning. So I mm. think for us, some of it was through having those sort of thoughts of like, well, we find this subject interesting, but why does Professor Lionel Bentley think copyright is interesting? You know, he's upstairs in this building, potentially. Yeah. Um, well, you know, know, he's one of the, the kind of... 
legal scholars, the copyright kind of greats in, in the UK. What, what, why did he get into copyright and, and get him to tell that story? Because actually there will be a story in there. And, and that, that was kind of our, our first way, I think, in to, to thinking, let's make it accessible to people. I, I would agree. The only thing I would add is there were other people we knew who were also doing it and we were a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and James Clay, for example, had us on his podcast and it's like, um, yeah, I want to do that. That looks really cool. <laughs> you but just wanted to buy a lot of kit as well. I already had a fair amount of kit. I, these, these, I brought Most all my toys with me, except the best bit of kit. Yeah. I, and maybe mm-hmm. We're probably jumping on ahead. Do you have yeah. a question about kit? Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we could talk a bit about the kit. So yeah, sure. as um, <laughs> for, um, for our podcast, uh, Chatting Info Lit, we, we literally do our recordings on Teams at the moment. Um, do you think you need a, a fancy setup? Does it? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, you need, you need at least seven microphones. Uh, you need <laughs> to plug them into two different mixers. mixers. Uh, you, you don't, do you? No. Uh, no, you, you really don't. No, I mean, we, uh, I'd spent £30, I think, on a microphone, um, and that was and a pop shield, so, because you get that sound, you really need a pop shield, we should have brought them. <laughs> or you could just be a bit further away from Yeah, okay, that's you. true. Well, um, <laughs> like that. Okay, then I'm not quite <laughs> Okay, well, um, and we use Zencaster, and that's to link people together, that's really good, because it works better than Teams or Zoom or whatever, because you get local recordings, and then it shares those local recordings. All of this is basically because I got an NTF two years ago and I needed to spend my, my grant on something. National Teaching Fellowship. Fellowship. And it does things like this. <laughs> and that's about it, really, and there's a mixing <laughs> test. Is that the, um, the, the, the swearing one? Uh, yeah, there's a sensor button and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So it's got the sound effects, and it mixes them together. This is very, very expensive, but you don't need anything like this. You no. do need, if you've got four mics at the front like this, you might need something a bit fancier. But most people, I think, if you've just got uh, Zencaster, you've got two mics, and Audacity, which is free. I use that mm-hmm. for editing. So, no, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things that makes it so accessible is it's so cheap to do. I would add, you can get something like this. So if you get a microphone that's an all-in-one thing with a flashcard, um, they can be relatively inexpensive, particularly if you get a second-hand one, like an older one like that. Or your phone. Your phone everyone's got a yeah. phone, haven't they? And they're pretty good. Hi, I'm Pam McKinney. I'm a lecturer at the University of Sheffield Information School, and I'm here at the Lilac Conference. I've had a great time at Lilac so far. It's so sociable, and I've learned so much, so many great things. So Lilac this year has been inspiring. I've also felt quite empowered to do more and more than one of us are doing all the same kind of thing and we're all good and part of it. Just makes me excited to want to come back next year really and get more involved in the work that we do and collaborating with other colleagues at other institutions. So now I've found Lilac uh, really interesting, really eye-opening for lots of new strategies. Yeah, just taking away a lot of extra material as well which I can kind of hopefully implement in my teaching as well. My Lilac experience so far has been incredible. Honestly the sessions are so value-packed and everyone's been really really friendly so I'm really enjoying it. How do you find and choose your guests and has there been a favorite conversation so far? We started off by people we know so um, we used to work in um, the learning design department at the Open University. So that's where Mike and I were both working. And so we started off just talking, getting people in that we know. And I think that, particularly if you're starting off, it's you don't want the big name guests. 
mm. like these people talk to already. Well, I think we'd have been a bit intimidated by that. Yeah. And then as people start listening to it and we're chatting to people, so people say, can we come on your show? We've got some ideas, put them together. I think one of the things that helps as well if you're starting off is to have a, 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 a very specific format. So there's lots of podcasts out there, which is just two people chatting together. There's a big field that you're trying to compete with. You don't want the big names on. If you've got a big name, that's great. But if it's just one of your colleagues, it's best to have some sort of format, some sort of structure, some sort of specific thing to talk about. And there's just got to be somebody with a passion for something. That's why the pop culture thing works, because everybody gets excited about one thing at least and get them on to talk about the thing that they're excited about. And you're away, really. Yeah, we, we drew up a list, I think, didn't we, of people that mm. we wanted to speak to. It was a, it sort of snowballed a little uh, bit as I, well. I, I seem to have a memory of when we first started, we didn't even really think about getting guests. We thought it could just be us talking. Oh, yes. We did the first mm. episode of just us talking. Yes. And then we kind of interviewed each other. And then we thought, this is probably going to be a bit rubbish <laughs> if we just do this and nothing else. Yes. So it, it happened organically out of the fact that you may know that Jane and I are massive conference tarts and we'll go anywhere and talk to anyone. And we found ourselves invited to Copy Camp in Poland, yes. which was great. That was. was really good. And then we, we got, uh, we got one of the Professor keynotes. Eleonora yeah. Rosati, who's yeah. one of the leading copyright professors. And we asked her about, you know, we just kind of... How did you get into copyright? Uh, yeah. What's your favourite cake? Uh, all those things. Yeah. yeah. What, have you got any copyright news? But, but yeah, we're now at the point where we've got more people lined up and more unedited podcasts in the in the can than we mm. can really handle. So we're mm. trying to stop it because, well, not stop it, but stop. Manage tr- the process. Yeah, not get yes. overexcited and just yeah. record more and more and but more. But we are, we are similarly now getting people coming to us saying, I could be on your podcast. Would yeah. you like to talk to me? But we're also looking for opportunities. So I think we, we did a, quite a few where we talked to kind of copyright professors and I suppose then we started to think, actually, we'd quite like to branch out a bit more mm. and talk to other people and talking to creative people. So we've started talking to like artists and writers and people like Mark Lewison that you'd think, well, what are they going to tell you about copyright? But actually, from listening to him give a talk, he said a, a couple of things that really kind of piqued our interest. So we made a big pitch to him to say we'd love to talk to you um, and we'd like to hear the kind of untold story about what the Beatles knew about copyright and, yeah. It turns out they actually sang a little song about it in one of the outtakes from the... In 1963, I think. 1965 Christmas... I'm going into anorexia. 1965 Christmas special. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they they do sing this very funny song about copyright and Mark gave us the recording of it which is on our podcast. It was super exciting. I shouldn't be surprised by that because I should have listened to it, shouldn't I? You should have done it. Yeah, didn't do your homework. No, I didn't do my homework. How about you guys, actually? Yeah. So how are you? Because oh. you, you've now got two episodes, haven't you? Have you started off with a, a long list? Are you stalking or are people? You, are you, or you, you are chatting to people you know, the first ones with Katie. It's, yeah, it, it's a mixture, isn't it? Because we were quite lucky to have the, the new professionals group around us. So that's the first two. Yeah. So the first two episodes of, of Chatting Info Lit, it's Katie Wise and the now award-winning Frankie Marsh are the first two episodes <laughs> of uh, the podcast. But yeah, and then we're hoping to broaden out beyond those uh, six people or five people. That kind of brings me on to my next question, which Thank is you. like, we're just obviously just starting out. We've only been going three or four months and we have encountered some challenges along the way, including 
hunting down guests, um, getting the episode on the platforms, getting the word out about the podcast itself has definitely been a challenge. So I wondered if you could talk about some of the challenges you faced, especially when you were starting out. I don't, I don't even think we had any. I think... <laughs> <laughs> It's just because yes, you it's, had Mike. You had Mike. I had Mike who knew what he was doing. Yeah. Because Mike does all the work, basically. Yeah. We had Rosie. It's become apparent today. We had, had Rosie as a boss, and our contracts entitled us to 10% of our time on community work. So, community engagement, rather. Not community work, community engagement. Community the, service. The academic, <laughs> service. <laughs> I know I shouldn't have done it, Gav. No, uh, not community engagement. So, obviously, the academic community. So. That actually is legitimately something like this is legitimate. But it is about finding the time, isn't so it? That, but that would have been the challenge otherwise. Yeah, and a... still sometimes we can't get all the editing done in our own time. No, exactly. So we have to do it in, in work time. We have to do yeah. it, you know, sometimes it's a day spent editing at a weekend. But that's, that, that gets on top of it, really. So, no, the platform is really easy. Um, you know, it's just through Apple... Uh, no, what's it called? The feed? Oh, it's all in the show notes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that's for free. Um, obviously, uh, we started four years ago when Twitter wasn't the enormous bonfire. <laughs> is it? Is it? Yeah, I was going to say that. So we could get the word out through that. The main thing I think, if you're only on your second and third episode, is not worry about an audience because the thing about a, a podcast is that after a year, you've got twelve uh, if you're doing one a month. If maths is right, which means that actually you each one it will build. So you, you, we expect hardly anybody to be there after the second or third episode, but stick with it. And after the first year, each new person that comes to your podcast will be twelve more downloads, and so therefore your download rate increases geometrically. So you know we got I don't know ten maybe ten thousand downloads in total. That's only four hundred listeners, but that's over forty episodes. So, you know, that's, that ends up being quite a lot of numbers then. So, yeah, patience and it will build. But I think the biggest thing that we had to overcome, you might find this strange, but is this a step too far in terms of our self-indulgence? Because oh. there's a certain <laughs> amount of... And it was kind of like... You're probably <laughs> feeling that uh, now, actually. Are we? I see that. Oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm over it now. <laughs> you know, um, it's, but at the beginning, I really was just thinking, is this a step too far? Does anyone want to Does anybody to want it? to know? And uh, as we discussed... On the episode of Pedagodzilla that mm. we did last time, we did get some pushback mm. from certain people in our field who were like, actually sent us a direct message saying, I, I like what you guys do, but this just is so self-indulgent and I can't see the value in it. Mm. And it's just like, you can hear the uncensored version of what response <laughs> we, <laughs> we yeah, gave we don't if you listen to Pedagodzilla. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's like, I don't get, it's like, if you don't like it, don't listen yeah, seems to yeah. be not everything on the internet is for you. I think <laughs> is needs to be everybody needs to be aware of, and you wouldn't expect that from colleagues. But we haven't really got that. I felt our poetry slam episodes might have been slightly self-indulgent. <laughs> but and the one where you happen- did it entirely in Alan Bennett uh, accent. Oh, and that one as well. Impersonations. <laughs> that was really yet, which is great. I, but I think one of the things that happened was it was during <laughs> lockdown. It really boosted, and I think yeah. part of it was that the reason why I wanted to do it so much was desperate to do it. It's hanging on to that level of sanity was it was nice to chat to Mike and our guests once a month and sort of record something new and other people tuned in because it was like you know even if it was self-indulgent it was like two or three people having a chat and people liked that sort of thing Mm. and the poetry slam was also people liked they just thought this is half a dozen people working all working for Rosie all sitting around for an afternoon having a laugh 
that, is that all that poetry? happened if you work for Rosie it's just sitting around only one afternoon poetry. out of the whole lockdown but that was it and it was we were all sitting around um, having a laugh together and people actually enjoyed listening to it for that point of view I think so yeah I, I would, I, I've got I, over that I would now. say a challenge is one you sort of touched on which is how to get the word out about mm. your podcast so we started off putting it on one platform and then it kind of syndicates on certain other podcasting platforms i spent quite a bit of time working out how to put it on spotify and that was kind of a bit of a game changer i found when i, I was like oh it's now on spotify so that's really exciting and people can kind of find it a bit more easily mm. and it's just getting your head around how some of all that works and then when we release an episode if we're not just saying the audience is there on twitter or something i think it comes back to that thing of feeling a bit self-conscious about the fact that you don't want to be kind of saying oh i'm going to send it to a disc mail list to tell everyone it's out there but you know should you i mean i've been thinking i really ought to put it i think it was looking at mark's signature and i think you've got pedagogzilla haven't you in, have in your my email signature i think you have maybe that's if you haven't yeah it's very self-indulgent <laughs> <laughs> very very yeah but that sort of stuff but you would have your latest publication on your email signature wouldn't you yeah why not put your because i mean this is this mm. is as important i think in yeah. fact if you're looking at impact one of the reasons why, you know, if you're looking at SFHEA and all that sort of stuff and community engagement, yep. listing podcasting, I think, really made a big difference with me getting that professional recognition stuff was because you can say, well, there's 400 people that regularly learn a little bit about pedagogy in every continent Absolutely. on the planet, apart from yeah. Antarctica, which we still haven't cracked the Antarctica You'll audience. get there. You'll get there. And yeah. then there was some discussion, wasn't there, about ontology and epistemology and how confusing those are. If you listen to the Pedagodzilla episode where... That gets explained through Jar Jar... Is it Jar Jar Binks? Yeah, Jar Jar Binks. Binks and Headcanon. Yeah. It's brilliant. And I was like, oh, right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then that sort of stuff gets picked up on um, postgraduate programmes. So the PGR programme at the OU uses that as learning resources. And Aberyst with PGCE people you regularly use our stuff. So then it starts having a kind of academic impact as well, which is always makes a difference. It's always good to hear. I think information literacy was quite important for me to choosing to work at a library. I have a background in a different discipline and I was a researcher, I have a PhD in innovation economics. So I did research and I taught students, but uh, I really thought that these kind of uh, competences like information literacy are very important for students and I thought I could have a very active role teaching them that and uh, giving them skills that go beyond a specific discipline but that they can use uh, afterwards when they graduate. So it's really what attracted me to work at a library. I was a teacher. I've also worked in public libraries um, and now in academic libraries and information literacy didn't really, I didn't really know what that word meant when I was um, a teacher but it was obviously an important part of the education that you provide and an information literate individual is more able to engage with the society and the world in which they live um, in a way that's critical but also works for them so they can have agency and authority in their own um, viewing information. So I think information literacy is key to how we are empowered individuals um, and therefore that's why I want to be more involved in teaching. That's actually a really good segue in terms of thinking about... like <laughs> We love a good segue, don't we? I love it, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kind of traditional academic interpretation of what we think of as being information and it's all like scholarly published literature and the things that have been peer-reviewed that kind of leads into the question of where does podcasting fit as both a pedagogical tool and a form of teaching and then also where does it fit into information literacy 
Uh, we've just written a paper on all that, haven't we? I was going to say, you both just looked at me as if I've got to answer that one. But yes, we have just written a paper on that. Which will be published in the Journal of Play in Adulthood, Volume 5, Issue 1. I think one of the things, I mean, we kind of subtitled this session about teaching and learning through conversation. Mm. Not that we just want to talk about educational theories, Mark, but we probably could talk about that for a long time. But there is a lot of theories about (laughs) learning is about a dialogue. And, well, you know, a good, yeah. and a conversation. And I think that it plays a really interesting role in a kind of being a, a tool that you can use in teaching. I think that voice is very powerful as well. And I think it kind of feels like, I mean, we, we had all not met, I think, in person until yesterday. But we've had quite a lot of conversations. I've listened to your podcast. I think you've listened to some of ours. Yes. And it kind, of, it, it kind of builds a bit of a connection, mm-hmm. I feel. And so I think it plays to a sort of learning on a slightly different level. It's something about the person's in your ears and you can hear them. And, and you're part of the conversation. You're hearing the other people thinking and then you're putting yourself in the middle of that conversation. And it's like they're your peers. And I think all that stuff around belonging and feeling like you're part of something. I think there's huge value in that. Mm. That, well, as we know, there are big problems with people coming into education feeling that distance between them Mm. and the people who hold the keys to the gate or understand how all this stuff works. If you then see that they're people that talk and chat with each other, then it it breaks down some of those barriers. Mm. Um, So I think there's a lot... Yeah, it's not tradition... Well, I say it's not traditional teaching. It's not the, the, the standing at the front of a room type teaching. It's more like a genuine discussion amongst people who are informed but entertaining and enjoying each other's company because I think that's the thing isn't it learning should be enjoyable Um, and I think there's something around entertainment is seen as is that the opposite of education well no it's not if you're if you're kind of trying to learn something new you're trying to entertain new ideas and thoughts in your own mind so I think sort of going sort of some of the almost more kind of crass elements that Mm -hmm. we do in 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 jingles theme tunes and silly mm. stuff I still I think that is helpful for learning because you're kind of it's like the classic isn't it Sesame Street and other things like that where you, you're pulled into that sort of mode of thinking mm. about things it's representation as well isn't it it's like asking the questions that the people listening would yeah. naturally have as they're they're talking about the topic and there's an emergent property as well with conversation I think uh, there's a lot of studying into podcasting used in teaching. goes back 15, 20 years. Mm. 20 years? Yeah, 20 years now. Um, which is all about using them in place of lectures or using them in place of uh, instruction manuals or whatever. Mm. And those, those are often monologues. And there's something, as Chris and Jane were saying, about dialogue, that when you have two people, possibly sometimes with opposing ideas or at least different ways of looking at things, like Mike hates Jar Jar Binks and I think he's okay. <laughs> um, so what you end up with when you end up with that sort of um, dialogic thing is these emergent ideas that sort of evolve as the conversation's happening. And that means that you end up often through that process of conversation discovering things about what you think. We find a lot of students contacting us saying this has really helped me with my studies because now I understand how I'm learning. And they can hear that through the conversation that people are having through the, the podcast. And I think that makes a... That makes it a unique genre, really. Of um... I think I think one thing I wanted to say you you mentioned about you know it's been around for a long time um, mm. and but I think the difference of what we're doing now it's not about just creating some little audio files that are kind of how to cite using the APA sixth 
style for students. That's not what I'm talking about when I think no. audio is kind of powerful for learning. So yeah. I think for some of the really important big questions around information literacy, around misinformation, around things like, you know, what impact AI is having on ethical issues, I think... That's where podcasting for me is really useful in the information literacy space. So I know that you can create little instructional audio or video, and that's something that librarians have done. I, I think we're talking about something a bit different, aren't we? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're chatting info lit. You're, you're chatting about the kind of big issues. You're not going to describe to a student how to execute an EBSCO host search or something like that. It, it, you know, it, it might come up in there, like, how do you choose what makes a, a really good, you know, quality source or how do you evaluate sources? Those kinds of questions you could talk about. Just to add to that, I, I'm reflecting on what we did in, not with the podcast necessarily, but with um, some of our games we think about The Publishing Trap, which is a board game about scholarly communications. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking with that is, are we teaching them the right, you know, in a way, there's some fairly processy type things that you need to know as a, a student, say, depositing your thesis in a repository. And it's kind of processy, but we made a game about it. Now, are we selling them short by bringing them into a sort of fantasy world and chatting about it? And actually, no, because you've got the process and the diagram on a website for them to look at asynchronously in their own time. And part of what we do in those sessions is introduce them to the people who are there to help them. And actually, if they come away from a session like that, thinking, Wanting to find out more. I know that there are people in the library who not only do they know what they're talking about, but they're friendly and approachable and are prepared to kind of meet us halfway. I think that there's an opportunity there if you are an information literacy librarian, a teaching librarian, to put things on which are focused on your students so that, you know, even if it is maybe a a quick introduction to something or other, if it's done in a form which is showing, not that you'll know everything you need to know by listening to this, but these are the people and they're trying to help, or they can help. I think it's also about, um, you know, recognising that motivation to learn and getting somebody interested in a topic is actually most of the battle really you know so if through the podcast somebody listening to it picks up a couple of things what you really want to do is them to sort of take that and go off and do further exploration that's exactly as we used to have this conversation a lot when we were using the publishing trap to teach about copyright and some librarians would have said to us oh but you haven't told them all the things they need to know about open access or it doesn't quite work like that in the real world and we were like well that's not what we're trying to do we're actually just trying to raise awareness at a more fundamental level so that they they kind of go off and find out stuff they can work things out themselves yeah yeah and as you say you can read things and guides on websites so if it's about i think it's about getting somebody's interest in the first place and really getting them motivated, which is all about information literacy as well, isn't it? To be then an independent learner and to go off and find out stuff themselves. Absolutely. And that segues into, I think, probably a final question before we go to audience things. Kind of curious about how doing the podcast has influenced your other professional activities, be it teaching or... Chris is a huge show-off. So (laughs) he's just using it really because... It's, it's a way of being able to make lots of music and novelty songs, isn't it? It's a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of creative outlet, actually, isn't it? 
Yeah, because if you have to write a proper song, it's really hard because they have to be really long. And if you've got an excuse to write short songs, I used to, I've written lots and lots of very short songs, and now I've got an excuse for it. <laughs> but in terms of how it actually influences kind of more day-to-day professional stuff, what I do find is I have conversations with people about things, and I'm like, I tell you what, could I just get my recorder? No, or, <laughs> yeah, well, there could be. This could be a podcast hey, yeah. right now. Yeah. But also, so let's say in our discussion list, list copy seek, it's a JISC mail list. If you're into copyright things or have copyright questions and you're not part of that list, you should apply. The questions come up again and again, and it felt like the same questions, and we're writing out the same bit of text. And now it's like, I tell you what you guys should do is listen to Corey Doctorow explain this at 23 minutes 12, mm-hmm. and that tells you everything you need to know about this fundamental tension and conflict and contradiction at the heart of copyright law and then you'll stop trying to work it out yourself because it doesn't make sense but here's a man who knows exa- he's brilliant he's a genius he speaks at a million miles an hour um and when we'd finished interviewing him we were a bit like oh my god that was what what the hell just happened there yeah. but then you listen back to it and it he it's just brilliant so to be able to refer people back to brilliant conversations with people that aren't you that you ask the question about the thing that you come across all the time in your professional practice, that, that was brilliant. And I think I found it's helped my teaching, I have to say. Mm. I mean, I, I do realise I say the word, er, uh, an awful lot, and I spend you know, a lot kind of time, of, uh, know, oh, and, uh, oh, yeah, what, I say, you know, I think. You know, and, kind yeah. of, sort of. Yeah, sort of. so I spend a lot of time editing <laughs> those things out, but as a kind of performance or just kind of being yeah. more relaxed when I'm going in and doing some teaching, because I used to, as soon as we switched on the, the, the record, I'd just, like, really clam up as well. And I've got over that you a little bit. You might find that hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, the, that was when we were doing the paper, that was the thing that, that really struck me had come out of it that I wasn't expecting was how it had changed people's pr- professional practice. I mean, I always had some sort of element of wanting to perform, and I've done stand-up, and that was like, it was okay, I didn't enjoy it, it was like a relief it was over more than anything, and yet with a podcast, it's like, it's just me and the microphone and maybe one other person, and so doing stupid voices, uh, doing poetry, whatever, it's a creative outlet like that. We had somebody from Argentina, I think, and she, no, Colombia, and she said that she... It was part of the oral tradition of her culture that she hadn't had a chance to express when she moved to the UK. And now she was tapping into that oral tradition. And I know Mike says that one of the things, he's very socially awkward, uh, he says, I can't believe it, but he says in conferences he wouldn't really dare go up and talk to anyone. And yet through the podcasting, he's been brought into a community of people that now want to talk to him and come in on the podcast. And so it's a kind of, as far as finding an avenue in which you can present your authentic self within and still be professional, then have that performance, that stupid side, reflected somehow and, and accepted is, is actually makes you feel more comfortable about being like that in general. About being yourself. Yeah, about yeah. being stupid and not caring because actually... Yeah. I was, I've been stupid on air, sort of, for four years, and people listen to the podcast and really enjoy it. And that's, so I think that's a big strong, that's the thing that's come through quite strongly. So another reason why I'd encourage everyone to have a go. It's just fun. As a new professional, having only been working for four months, my experience of teaching for information literacy so far has been pretty limited, but also a very steep learning curve of what works, what doesn't work, what students like, what actually gets them engaged with it. But overall, it has been very positive. I have very little teaching experience, but I am studying a master's in, in, at the Information School in Sheffield. And 
there we had a module on information literacy so I created a teaching session online and the whole time I thought I could do more I could do more I could do more here so I know there's a lot of lot to it and Lilac helps so much to know about all these things that I can do and can do better even. So unlike most podcasts, we have an opportunity for audience mm-hmm. questions. So I have this thing, I'm going to describe it. It's called a catch box. It is a microphone. Um, I am going to throw it at you if you have a question, but in a nice way, I promise. Does anyone have any questions? I should have done that afterwards. Oh, yes, perfect. You're, that's a long... You've got to throw it from there I all the way up. I'm going to come to... It yeah. My aim so is just not that good. Um, hold on to your... Pass it back. Anybody that, to anyone and anyone that's naughtily got a tea or coffee on this, hold on <laughs> yes, to it. <laughs> Watch you know, out, um, I am coming. Uh, I'm looking and everyone slowly, slowly. has got a tea or a coffee in front of them. <laughs> you have to throw it. Yeah. Hello. It's, this is really interesting to me, and I'm especially interested if you think that podcasting is a form of self-publication, and if so, how do you protect your intellectual property? Um, does it have anything in relation to licensing and copyright, etc.? Oh, we got some copyright. Is that a question that we might want to? Ask? Yeah. yeah, I'm going to sit this one out. I think. Do you want to? Well, we we've actually um, openly licensed our podcasts, so we've put Creative Commons licenses on them, um, and we feel quite comfortable about that. I think it's a CC BY license, isn't it? Yeah, I would say that the way we look at podcasting is part of open educational practice, and mm. open in the sense of open licensing and allowing other people to use and reuse if they want to but also just open as in letting people into your world, sharing things and not feeling like you're sharing them with a smaller group. I think the likelihood of people ripping off your stuff without asking you and that being a problem is is just minimal. There's so many podcasts out there. Mm. Other people are ripping off each other's formats and ideas. And, you know, we rip off. You know, I'm a massive Adam Buxton fan, as you could probably tell. An awful lot of ideas of what I do is taken from that. But that's just the way creativity works. So... I, I don't think it's an issue. We, we, no, it isn't. We but did it's something find, that we, we've intentionally thought about. We have about thought about that. it, yeah. yes. And we've made the choice um, about putting that open license on it. One of the things we did find, both our Mark Lewis and episodes, somebody yeah. has taken them and they've uploaded them somewhere else, haven't There's they? There's a Mark Lewis and YouTube channel, unofficial, where everything that Mark Lewis and says is captured by these fanatics and put on a YouTube channel, which he's cross about. We put it out under a Creative Commons license, so we don't care, but they've chopped out all the bits of kind of us doing our personality stuff mm. um, and all the jingles, and they've just got Mark talking about his stuff. And that, that, that's fine as far as we're concerned. But it's, it's, it's kind of fine, but it's annoying because it's also, we noticed it got a lot of hits, hadn't it, as well? Yeah. I think it's yeah. got more. more, more yeah, more, more hits. Thousands, yeah. Yeah. yeah, thousands so and thousands of Maybe hits. there's something to be learned from that, just if you edit out. I think that the idea that. is you, you can't... <laughs> what are you saying about our jingles? <laughs> no, it means you can't... Um, you can't control what happens when you put stuff out there, really. And so, in some ways, you've got to let it go and see what happens. Mm. And I don't know if the chatting info lit... Do you want to say? Have you, have you? Are you worried about it? Are you worried about people taking that podcast and remixing it? I feel like we're at that stage where we'd be grateful for the attention. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, please, if anybody yeah. does want to rip off what we're doing, feel please, free yeah. for the time being. <laughs> the other thing as well is with the subject matter; it's all stuff that hopefully 
we feel is going to be valuable and useful to people. So if people are you know, valuing it and using it, that's terrific, and that's only a good sign. Ask us again once we've got sort yeah. of thousands of episodes. And we're <laughs> <laughs> oh, you throw it. Throw, throw it through it. the audience. Throw it. Box. Um, There's one yes. just below you, Anna. Yes, hello, here you go. I'll, I'll throw, throw it very lightly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask a technical question. If you're doing a podcast and there's somebody that you're interviewing but they're on the other side of the world and then Chris or Jane decide to do a catchy little jingle that they want the other person to sing along with, is there any way that you can do that at the moment without there being a time lag? Do you mean that you would be playing it live musical instruments yes, at your side of the world? Yes, and they'd be singing along with you so that they could they learn what along. you were trying to get them to um, learn. It's, it's tough. There are things that you can do, but the, the, if you really want to do something like that, you pre-record it. So if you think about what, what Gary Barlow was doing during lockdown, lots of people were doing stuff in lockdown. It looked like it was live. It wasn't live. He pre-recorded a bit, and then they recorded their bit on top of it, and then you fix it. And in fact, you, it doesn't need to be the authentic thing at the end as long as it looks like it and as long as the spirit of it is in there then you so presumably you're thinking about doing this Sarah is that right no no I've tried it it doesn't work it doesn't work (laughs) no we're trying the way around it Um, I'll see what's that we we also we did actually play um Emily Drabinsky's song to her, didn't we? We did, yeah. And we... Um, and it was a, it was a, a, a technical wish, nightmare. It was a technical nightmare. <laughs> the whole thing failed. We, we had to restart the, it about three the times. The vocal slowed right <laughs> down. <laughs> and then everything speeds up. And yeah. Anyway, yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah, we've experienced that. It's quite difficult. Are there more questions? I have, uh, oh, there's lots of hands throw, went up at throw, once. Um, okay. Down the front. I'll, Just, I'll start okay. down the front. Okay. I just wonder, I mean, Jen, you talked about using podcasts to pique people's interest. And I yes. wondered, how short can a podcast be? I mean, most podcasts are about an hour long. And as you said, you've obviously got loads more material, so you're reducing it down to about an hour. But... When is a podcast not a podcast? When, how short could that conversation be to still capture the spirit of discussion and still get people interested? I was just thinking in terms of the kind of practical side of things when we, you mentioned how much time is involved. Could we still capture the spirit of it in a much shorter window? Ten minutes is fine. Ten yeah, minutes. I would have said, I was going to say 10, 10, 15 minutes, I yeah. would have thought. I mean, I think breaking it up, you know, they, they talk about when you make videos, breaking those up and making those quite short. I do think podcasts are generally it's it's a more kind of long form uh, you know because it's about a conversation and it's about an idea that needs to be explored in a little bit more depth so but not necessarily i think no. if you listen to the uh pedagogzilla the conference ones where there's shorter interviews those really work and are you guys chatting info lit you are asking for people to come and talk to you and you're doing relatively short interviews and conversations, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So a brief plug off the back yeah, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Talk to them. We've got a microphone at the new professional stand just by the entrance. And throughout the conference, um, if anybody does want to have a very quick, like, two-minute conversation about some of the questions and topics we've got up on the board there, we will be adding those sort of short Vox Pop snippets into uh, this episode, just dropping them in at various points. So if you haven't already come and uh, talk to us, if you're not one of those five people, <laughs> please, then uh, and you'd like to just uh, say something and appear on an episode, please do come along to the new professional stand, and we will record you. Or maybe one of those and, five people uh, could come back. I mean, yeah. we don't want to exclude and, any and, of you. But do voices. <laughs> <laughs>
One of the information literacy strategy tips that I give to people most often, it's really basic, um, but when you're thinking about a question like I need to find information about this particular thing, really try and break your question down into relevant keywords that are most likely to bring up the information that you need. And if the first search that you do or the first couple of searches you do don't yield the information that you're looking for, just remember that the information is usually out there. It's just about the angle and the approach that you're taking it with. So if you're not having any luck with your first set of keywords or your first question that you are searching, try and think about it from three or four different angles. Maybe think about what type of perspective would um, somebody else take on this issue and how might they search for information about it. And that's going to help you come up with new keywords and new questions that you can search to try and find information. And ultimately, you'll probably get there in the end. When talking about information literacy, strategies, tips, uh, the resources, when I talk about them, oftentimes I'm reminding people that what we think is basic and we have assumptions of, we're trained in some way, shape, or form. We've learned these somewhere along the way and we probably don't remember where we learned them from. And so it's taking a moment to reflect and remember what it was like to be a novice, to be a beginner, to not know how to do anything, and find ways to just casually incorporate that into the larger pieces of information you're sharing because those that already know it will bypass it but those that don't will pick it up, put it in their back pocket, and have gained even something extra. Okay. Right, I'm throw it. Come on, Ella, throw it. Throw it. Throw it. Throw it. Throw it. Throw it. This is an audience participation thing. I think one of the things that you haven't mentioned, which is my question, really, because obviously the difference between a podcast and an audio recording, what's that? When we were doing some research, when I was doing the lit thing for the paper, I saw somebody said redefined podcasting as any audio thing, and that's how it's generically used. Is you know you'll hear colleagues say, "Well, I'll do a podcast," and they just want it on their website for their on the Learn Ultra or whatever for their students. I would say it still has to be disseminated through an RSS feed for it to really feel like it's a podcast. Yeah. You, know, you need to be able to yeah. access it through Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast app is. It needs to have that possibility to engage with any audience out there disseminated widely and publicly through the normal channels because the casting bit is an essential part of your engagement with an audience now not everyone's as strict with that term as we were when we were writing this thing this is a sidebar rss stands for really simple syndication and it is the mechanism by which podcasts are delivered when they're ready and it's about the only thing that RSS is still used for, I isn't think so, it? yeah. yeah. But okay. it is a really good question, and actually it's something I raised. Chris and I had a conversation when we were looking at the draft of the yeah. paper um, around whether podcasting you know, has evolved into much more about um, the, the, the kind of brand, the episodes, the, mm. the kind of marketing around it. My university, City University, we've just launched the first Masters in podcasting that will be starting in September of oh, this year. Very you need, exciting. Have you got any, any budget for guest lecturers? Well, let's have. let's have a chat. <laughs> okay. I'm not teaching it, I have to say. Oh, okay. I, 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 have okay. been, I have been involved um, in talking to colleagues in the journalism department about it, but they're really clear that podcasting is not just a piece of audio. Podcasting, they're teaching all about um, narrative, about mm. creating an audience. They're talking about the, the kind of brand, you know, the jingles, the, all the kind of stuff that goes into podcasting. And the um, show notes, I think they're quite important. So yeah, every every yeah. podcast sort of app has, um, you can s- swipe to the left, I think, and there's a whole set of notes about 
what that podcast episode is. And so if it's a horror podcast, it'll have trigger warnings and it'll have cast list or whatever. So for us, that's a, a, a key part of what we do is further reading. If we cite a paper in the podcast, there's the reference. And so that always gives somebody something to point towards, really. Anchor FM, that's the... That's the thing we use for disseminating it. Just remember. Oh, that's what you use. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have we have ours on SoundCloud. But I think I think it's yeah. It's a good it's a good question, James. And I think it's it's kind of the point I was trying to make when I was just saying I don't think it's just about putting a couple of audio files up on the library website that sort of say yeah. uh, how to search the catalogue in in an audio file. I, I don't see that as a podcast really. Yeah, I, I mean, the reason I asked the question because I think the, the subscription element of podcasting is really important yeah. in the sense that the, the, the new episodes get pushed to your device. Yes. Um, so they're there for you. And, and something that I know when I was working, well, I still work at JISC, I was going to say when I was working at JISC, but, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things was where we, were, we were looking at how can you do online learning when there's no power, when there's a blackout. And, of course, podcasting enables content to be pushed to students' devices if then at that point the power goes, they've got stuff they can access. And that was one of the reasons why I think it's that, that kind of subscription side is absolutely critical yeah. um, and, going forward. But thank you. And my other question is, why wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, one of the things that cropped up when I was doing learning design at, at the OU was they said, oh, I want to do a podcast. And I got really excited because I was just getting into podcasting and then found out they just wanted to do an audio on something. But I thought, this is really interesting. Okay, this is aimed at your students. But why not make this free to and available to everybody? I mean, it's it's a marketing tool for one. Mm. So you could have more people coming to explore your degree program because they've heard a podcast from some interesting people. But also education should be free as much as possible. And why not allow people to listen to all the good stuff that you're creating? It shouldn't just be for your students. So, yeah, make it, uh, you know, put it on Anchor FM or whatever, yeah. Spotify, and let everyone listen to it. Have we got any t- more time? We've got time for, yeah. I think, one more question and then a wrap-up. Okay. Throw it. Throw it. Everybody turn around, catch the box and pass it on. Yeah, okay. I'm going to throw it at you. Can you throw it down? Yeah. Okay. Hi. I'm curious about uh, your preparation for each interview and how similar or how different it is uh, in relation to a research interview. And in relation to spontaneity, for instance, if you're interviewing someone who is very knowledgeable but perhaps a bit nervous on being uh, in a podcast Mm. that will be out in the world and they might not be able to take it back and perhaps being a bit monosyllabic, so how do you prepare? What we we do is we have a conversation with them before we start recording and explain entirely they get to say what they don't like or don't want to have in the final episode. We kind of put them at their ease. We don't go through the sort of... The thing that you would do if it's like an ethical clearance thing with, with but we we just have a conversation. We start that off as a just checking they're happy with how it's going to work, and people sometimes do get a bit nervous. But we we've moved away from a set list of questions towards having something much more organic, and it's proving to be a better way of than, than when we first started. Yeah, because I think we did start off a little bit more like if you were doing a research interview, and we would have sort of questions written out. We would often email those to them in advance and we found that people were sort of almost preparing a script so we talked Lionel Bentley said I don't think I can answer any of these questions they're too hard and it's like but you're the like the cleverest copyright professor (laughs) in the world but we we had a really great tutorial from one of my colleagues Richard Evans he worked in radio he was in the journalism department at City University for a long time and he 
talk to us about it being a conversation and not an interview specifically and how to make that feel much more natural and said to us, you're a bit too formulaic and you need to relax a bit and then your guests will also relax much more. And, it, you know, you kind of also, can, as Chris says, you can say to them, look, these are some areas we want to talk about, but it's up to you. And we were just recording one last week where our guests said, perhaps you don't want to know about this. And we, we were just sort of, we're very relaxed. We say, look, we can fix anything in the edit. So just carry That's on. And, you know, it's, it is actually amazing what you can cut out without it noticing at all if somebody kind of loses their train of thought, all of those things which happens to me all the time as well. So. Yeah, we do get that, people coming thinking, oh, I'm really nervous because I don't sound, I don't know what, I don't, what happens if I don't know what to say? And then within five minutes, they realise that we don't know what we're doing either, and it's all <laughs> in the edit. But uh, this is a really good question, because we oscillated from just one extreme to the other, really. Yeah, over-preparation is probably the worst thing that's possible to do, because then it just sounded scripted, um, and you want that emergent stuff. But then you need to know enough about what it is you're... T- we did one episode where I wanted to talk about graduate outcomes in the sense of graduate attributes, and we didn't do any preparation whatsoever. And we were talking about the God Emperor of Dune and graduate outcomes, and Mike was thought, thinking I meant graduate destinations. So we, were, we had nothing in common to talk about because we were thinking about different things. <laughs> Unfortunately... We're out of time. We have the large librarian shush sign has been wielded. Oh my god! Okay, that was that was. I just reverted back to being like an undergraduate. There, we are going full librarian. Okay, so um, so yes, so getting it right, and that was the thing that we had to actually mark. Finish that. Finish that off. That sentence off. That was the thing that we had to focus on. It was a shush sign. Um, So uh, yeah, so so yeah, it it just takes practice, but that's the. One final questions. I know. I know we're we're at our time. Um, sh- <laughs> um, where can people find your podcast? I feel like it's important to ask. Oh, there well, we go. On Copyrightliteracy.org or pedagodzilla.com. Perfect. So thank you very much for joining yes. us. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.